Start your electric journey right here, right now. With a Volvo XC90 Recharge, our plug-in hybrid SUV with extended range. For more everyday electric journeys on a single charge with a hybrid option for longer adventures. Contact your local retailer to book a test drive or design your own vehicle at volvocars.com US. The Volvo XC90 Recharge Plug-In Hybrid. The electric car with a backup plan. Hey, math fans, Jason Marshall, Math Dude, here with your weekly dose of quick and dirty tips to make math easier. As we discussed last time, my backyard, and thanks to my young daughter, even small portions of my house are currently flooded with fall leaves. All of this lovely foliage I'm living in and amongst has gently raked me into a rather pensive mood and has me contemplating some of the intersections between math and leaves. That's why we spent time last week talking about one of these math-leaf connections known as the stem and leaf plot. If you joined us for that, you'll remember that we've thus far learned how to make stem and leaf plots, but we haven't yet had a chance to dig in and figure out exactly why such plots might be useful. So, what are stem and leaf plots good for? What can they tell us? And why might we want to make them? Those are exactly the questions we'll be answering today. Let's kick things off with a recap of the basics of making stem and leaf plots and a look at why they're called stem and leaf plots in the first place. As we've learned, a stem and leaf plot is really just a two-column table. The first column contains the stems made up of the first digit or perhaps the first several digits of your numerical data. And the second column contains horizontal lists of leaves made from the last digits of your data points. So there are multiple leaves for each stem of data, just as there are multiple leaves on each branch of a tree. Get it? To illustrate what this all means in practice, we imagined measuring the widths of a bunch of leaves, all of which were between 7 and 23 centimeters wide. To make a stem and leaf plot of this data, you begin by filling the first column with the stems 0, 1, and 2. The stem labeled 0 is for all the leaves with single-digit widths between 0 and 9 centimeters. The stem labeled 1 is for all the leaves with widths between 10 and 19 centimeters. And the stem labeled 2 is for all the leaves with widths between 20 and 29 centimeters. After you've made your stems, you just have to add the leaves to your plot. If one of the leaves you've measured has a width of 14 centimeters, you would write 4 in the second column of the row with 1 in the first column. For a 7 centimeter wide leaf, you would write 7 in the second column of the row with 0 in the first column. And so on for each leaf in your dataset. Once you've done all that and resorted your plot so that all of the leaves on each stem are sorted from smallest to largest, your stem and leaf plot is finished. If you'd like to see an example of a finished stem and leaf plot, be sure to check out the web article version of this podcast at quickanddirtytips.com slash mathdude. Start your electric journey right here, right now. With a Volvo XC90 Recharge, our plug-in hybrid SUV with extended range. For more everyday electric journeys on a single charge with a hybrid option for longer adventures. Contact your local retailer to book a test drive or design your own vehicle at volvocars.com US. 
The Volvo XC90 Recharge Plug-in Hybrid. The electric car with a backup plan. So that's how to make a stem and leaf plot. But the big question is, what can you learn from such a plot? The answer is, quite a lot. For example, imagine that you want to find the most common leaf width. In other words, you want to find one of the statistical quantities known as the mode or the median of your dataset. How can you do it? One way would be to write out all of the values in your dataset in a big, long list ordered from smallest to largest. Then, to find the median value, you just have to count out and find the value that's right in the middle of the list. Admittedly, that's not too hard. While it's also possible to find the mode this way, remember the mode is the value that occurs most frequently, it's a bit painful to do. To find the mode using your ordered list, you would have to look through the entire thing and constantly keep track of which number has occurred the most. As I said, it is doable, but it's a lot to keep track of and it's not exactly the most convenient thing in the world to do in your head. What other options do you have? The stem and leaf plot, of course. Because if you instead start by creating a stem and leaf plot, you'll be able to find the median and especially the mode a lot more easily. The organization provided by the two columns of the stem and leaf plot make it a little bit easier to figure out which number is in the middle of the dataset. That's the median. And a whole lot easier to find the mode. Why the big improvement in finding the mode? Well, if you think about it, you'll see that the organization provided by the plot makes it easy to see which leaf occurs most frequently. And that most frequently occurring leaf for a given stem must be the mode of the dataset. Just look for the leaf that repeats itself the most. Easy. So stem and leaf plots are great for investigating the frequency with which different values occur. Hopefully you can see that there's a lot more information to be gleaned here than you get from a hodgepodge list of numbers. What if you were even more curious about leaf widths and wanted to know if most of the widths are clustered around the most common value, or if they're spread out over a broad range of values? In other words, what if you also wanted to know about the shape of the distribution of leaf widths? A stem and leaf plot can help here too, since it will immediately show you if most of the values are clustered together, or if they're evenly spread out over the different stems, or anything else. So stem and leaf plots are also great for investigating the shape of your dataset. While stem and leaf plots are a useful tool, they're not the only way you can investigate these types of questions about a set of data. Another big technique for studying this type of data, in particular for studying the distribution or shape of a dataset, is to use something called a histogram. What's that? Well, unfortunately, as so often happens, we're all out of time for today. So the answer to that question will have to wait until next time. In the meantime, if you're looking to have more fun with math, please check out my book, The Math Dude's Quick and Dirty Guide to Algebra. With the holidays fast approaching, keep in mind that it's a perfect gift for you and all the math fans in your life. Also, be sure to check out the catalog of the other 264 Math Dude episodes. They're all available at quickanddirtytips.com slash mathdude and through your favorite podcast app. While you're out and about on the internet this week, remember to become a fan of The Math Dude on Facebook at facebook.com slash themathdude and on Twitter at twitter.com slash jasonmarshall. 
Until next time, this is Jason Marshall with the Math Dude's quick and dirty tips to make math easier. Thanks for listening, math fans. Start your electric journey right here, right now. With a Volvo XC90 Recharge, our plug-in hybrid SUV with extended range. For more everyday electric journeys on a single charge with a hybrid option for longer adventures. Contact your local retailer to book a test drive or design your own vehicle at volvocars.com slash US. The Volvo XC90 Recharge Plug-In Hybrid. The electric car with a backup plan.